look, if you can get past all the drug-addled redneck neighbors, vandalizations, car thefts, break-ins, sexual assaults, and occasional stabbings, this town isn't so bad. Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for not parent expected or non-paternal event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode 186. And I just bought my ticket for the Untangling Our Roots Summit. It will be held in April 2024. I believe the dates are April 25th through the 28th. It will be in Denver, Colorado, and this will be a chance for NPEs, adoptees, and donor-conceived individuals to unite. There will be entertainment and facilitators and workshops and meals, and I went last year, and it was a wonderful time. It was my first time being around, I think it was about 300 people last year. And all of us were quickly nodding along with each other. It just felt so great to go. I would suggest you check out the website. I will put it down below. And this is for the Untangling Our Roots Summit held in April 2024. And today we are going to listen to an NPE share his story. And today I'm speaking with Bob. Hi, Bob. Hi, Lily. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for setting the time aside to do this today. Of course. My pleasure. Thank you. As I said up front, longtime listener, first time caller. And, uh, thank you to you, of course. I want to establish that for everything you've done for that community. You've brought a lot of catharsis to people. And as I mentioned, I think you might have the most empathetic voice of anyone I've ever heard. So hats off for, for all that you do. Oh, I appreciate that so much. Thanks, Bob. You're welcome. You're welcome. Okay, so I briefly looked at your email, but I didn't want to get too much of your backstory because I just wanted to hear it from you directly. Let's go ahead and get into who was in your family of origin and a little bit about what your childhood was like. Sure. Well, I feel like there are two kind of foundational things to start with before I even maybe talk about my family. And the first one is really, you know, because and I think it'll play out that it's important. That's a little bit about my mom's upbringing. So, you know, what I found, Lily, is probably unlike a lot of the folks I've heard on your show and from what I've read, I don't really have a mom issue. My mom was a lovely, lovely human being, probably one of the kindest and best-hearted souls that I've ever known. And she's since passed away. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. But so, But she had a really kind of rough bringing you know she she grew up in Detroit her mom was sick and then died when she was a kid and her dad you know it was the depression her dad was out of work and he was a drinker you know all the, the terrible stuff and despite all that stuff she was just this light <laughs> kind of you know kind of just again very warm-hearted soul and you know it was palpable so you know people really responded to her 
Mm-hmm. But she, you know, I mean, look, given that background, she was very resilient. She just was kind of a survivor and was a kind soul. So, you know, that so that, that was certainly part of it. You know, so that that I think fed into her, perhaps, you know, led to my my eventual conception. But, yeah. So that's one background. And then the other thing I think is good as a foundational point is, and I'm going to read this to you. It's just a sentence, but it's telling. <laughs> and you, I'll give you this to ask up front. I think in all of the uh, the episodes I've listened to from you, they're pretty much PG rated. They're not R rated, right? So, <laughs> uh, this this may be a little a little crass, or maybe PG thirteen for the show. But I won't call the town out by name. But it's the town that I grew up in, and I grew up around the Detroit area in a suburb just outside of the city probably about five miles from the dividing line, which is which is Eight Mile. Some people have heard of the Eminem movie, Eight Mile. Oh, yeah. So I grew up in 13 Mile, which isn't far from there. But, you know, it's not a lot better. <laughs> but this is the way they described the town that I grew up on. There was a list one time that talked about all the different suburbs around Detroit, and I always got a kick out of it. And this is how they described the town that I grew up in. And again, I'll unbrand it and call it City X. How's that? Basically said, look, if you can get past all the drug-addled, redneck neighbors, vandalizations, car thefts, break-ins, sexual assaults, and occasional stabbings, this town isn't so bad. So that'll give you a soundbite of where I came from. Uh, and again, the upbringing was fine. I mean, it was, it was a little, you know, the area wasn't the greatest, but we lived in a nicer part of that area. And my parents were older when I was born. They had moved out of the city of Detroit in 1964. I was born in 68. But, you know, that was a town, a city that had a lot of tensions and, you know, racial tensions and things like that. So there was, you know, there was a lot of turmoil in and around that town. And I'm not 100% sure, but I've always wondered, given when I was born, which is in 1968, in the months, if I wasn't conceived during the Detroit riots, which were, I think to this day, still some of the biggest riots that, that the country's ever seen. And the timing works out. So it always made me wonder if somebody was in lockdown, <laughs> you know, when when I was conceived. But at any rate, that's a little glimpse of the town. My parents were older when they had me. My dad was 38. My mom was 37. And in the late 60s, that wasn't typical, you know. They had my older sister, who was 13 years older than I was. And they also had a child that they lost in 1960. So in between my sister being born in 55 and me being born in 68, they also would have had a, an older sister, a middle child sister, who didn't last more than a, a few days. And I do think, you know, again, as resilient as my parents were and my mom was, you know, I think that any parent would experience, right? I mean, that that kind of hung over her a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so that's, you know, my family structure. My, my older sister, was never anything like me. I'm sure you've heard this story a million times at this point. God bless her, but she was we we're nothing alike. She was out of the house by the time I was probably five. She got married, I think, when I was six and is still married, but looked a little bit alike, but we just couldn't have been more vastly different. And, you know, that is probably many people have said about this experience. There was never any one clue, but there were a million small clues. So, but that was my mom and my sister, my dad was a good guy. I mean, neither of my folks were educated. No, nobody went to college. I was the first person in my family to do that, or at least in my, in my family I grew up in. You know, so I was kind of like a little bit of an oddball, right? I mean, I was a good student. You know, my mom was smart and my sister was smart. My dad was very street smart. But, you know, I, I really was, I think my dad often looked at me like, 
used to joke. He's like, you must get your smarts from your mom because <laughs> he was a terrible student. And, you know, he was a really funny guy and he was a really good looking guy. Like, But I never looked anything like him. He was tall and had this beautiful, lustrous hair. You know, he was probably 6'3 in rail thin in his youth where I was stocky. And my hair started receding when I was like 15. So, you know, and his joke always used to be, you know, he had no chest hair. He'd, he'd tell me, well, you're, I think it's all popping out before it gets to your head. And that's why you're thinning on top because it's sprouting out of your chest. So, you know, he was, he was kind of a wise ass in a very kind of funny and lovable way. You know, my sister, as I referenced, was out of the house by the time I was five and, you know, my sister, like I said, she's vastly different. Like she, she wasn't as attuned to things as I was. She, um, you know, I don't think she had any sense of any issues between my parents. And, you know, look, I was probably, I mean, my first recollection of my parents having any tension was probably, I was probably under the age of 10, maybe somewhere in there. And, you know, look, they had, they had some, some ups and downs and I could, could see that, but, you know, they stayed together and, you know, the solace that I take is I, you know, for instance, I was with my, my dad passed first, probably two, I don't know, gosh, he died in 01 and my mom died in 04. So under three years apart, but I remember spending the night with my mom when he passed and, you know, I mean, I could see the grief, right? I mean, they loved each other and I'll never really know, you know, what, well, I'll, I'll fill you in on how my biological father plays into this, but, you know, they had some pumps along the way. Now, I was born in 1967, which if you're a music fan <laughs> or any fan, you'll know it's the summer of love, right? So, you know, there, who knows what was going on in the 60s, right? But my mom ran a little savings and loan, and she worked there for over 40 years. And it was like, it's a wonderful life. She knew everybody by name. There was no security guards. There was no bars. It was very, very simple. No computers, <laughs> Um, and the person who started that savings alone was my biological father. So, mm. um, he, you know, so I know your mind goes to potentially the worst places, right. When you find, when you make this discovery and I, so I have the assurance in my heart of hearts that, you know, it wasn't anything hinky. It wasn't an assault. It wasn't, I mean, they were, they were friends. I mean, she had the utmost respect for him and he really gave her a chance for, you know, somebody who really had no formal education other than high school. I mean, she was just good with numbers and she was good with people. And, you know, she sat at the front of that little savings and loan for decades and just kept customers happy. You know, it was, I mean, she, she just had that great touch and she was very human and would listen to their problems and they'd sit down at her desk and, you know, but my biological father, you know, started that savings and loan. And I think his father, who would have been my grandfather, was running it initially. He died. And I think that's when my mom, you know, moved up from teller to running it. And again, wasn't any place fancy. It was a little bit of a dump, but she always ran it very profitably. And, you know, the biological father, and I know we're going to transition to that. He is an, he was, and I'd met him numerous times because as I worked at that savings and loan as a teller, and they wanted me to take over for her at one point, which I, you know, I did go work there for a year after I'd started my career and helped them go through a stock conversion, but I didn't want to sit in the same spot for 40 years. Uh, but my, my biological father was an incredibly, incredibly, incredibly successful and wealthy man. He had multiple ventures. He was an attorney and a pilot. He was a major real estate developer in Michigan and around the country. 
he's in the Hall of Fame and the Detroit Builders, what, whatever Hall of Fames they have for, you know, every industry has its Hall of Fame. But again, I spent time with the guy and I thought he was had a gentle presence about himself. Like he didn't seem, there wasn't a lot of hubris there. You know, he wasn't, I mean, he was very well dressed. <laughs> he drove a Mercedes, which I never saw on that side of town. You know, we were right on the outskirts of Detroit where that place was. And he didn't come very often. He came about once a month, maybe for a, for a board meeting. But interestingly, my mom arranged for a breakfast meeting for the two of us, he and I, because they did want me to take over for her. I don't know if he did or, you know, or if she pushed for that career in advertising. I'd spent a year and a half in an ad agency and it's a grind. I mean, it's, you know, 80 hour weeks and knew I wanted to go back to graduate school. And I thought maybe I could go work there and help them do the stock conversion. And either I'll stay and go to school at night or I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll help them with what they need done and I'll parachute out. And at any rate, he had a breakfast meeting with me, which I thought was odd because he knew me a little bit because I was a teller. And I mean, I'd probably met him five, six, eight times. and we had a breakfast meeting at the Toniest restaurant in the Toniest suburb of Detroit, which was his, you know, they were on the other side of town. We were where the bank was and where I lived was on the other side of the tracks, as they say. Detroit is very divided between east side and west side. But at any rate, we had a breakfast meeting that I still remember to this day. And I remember leaving that meeting, Lily, thinking, God, that seemed like more than an interview, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it didn't feel like just an interview. Anyway, it's just kind of funny to look back at that. And I do remember I, I remember a joke I made at the table that made him laugh. So, you know, some of that conversation is certainly left upon my mind. Hmm. So I ended up working there. And then, ironically, he served as a reference for me when I did go back to graduate school. And, you know, I wrote the letter and he signed it and he was a reference. You know, the, the only odd thing I'd say was I remember my mom every once in a while would say, oh, Mr. I won't call him by name, but Mr. J, that is what she called him which was the initial, she said, Mr. J, you know, wanted to know how number one son's doing today. You know, he asked about you. And Mm -hmm. I always thought, well, that's very nice, but kind of, you know, like, okay, that's very sweet of him to want to know how I'm doing, but, you know. So did Mr. J know you were his biological son? Well, that is an excellent, excellent question. And, you know, certainly one of the first ones that I'm asked. Well, usually the first question people ask is, do you think your dad knew, right? Right. Which, answer that next. I've since seen pictures. So, you know, I might be jumping ahead in your usual sequence, but, you know, I knew my my newfound brother because, you know, so I had three new siblings that I did not know, you know, that, that I came to know about. And I knew of all three of them because of my mom's very tight relationship with that family. I only really knew, and, and I use that term loosely, the one brother. And the only reason I knew him is because Mr. J had brought his son in to be the president of the Savings Alone. And, you know, he was a bright guy and, you know, but kind of didn't have a great relationship with his father, as I've come to find out. You know, he was in, he was in the mix. So he was at my wedding. And then it's a long story that I'll spare you, but living upstate New York and when we moved here, my mom was alive and she was supposed to come out to watch the kids because the movers were shipping all our stuff from the Detroit area and my mom died. So she had a heart attack. I had to fly back to Detroit while the moving truck was coming this way. Oh. But, you know, so that was kind of a bummer. My daughter was like nine months old. I mean, it was terrible. Oh. It was as bad. My my son was, I think, three. My daughter was nine months. And well, maybe by by then. My daughter was born in January of that year, and my mom died in December, just before Christmas. So I had to leave my wife, my poor wife, as we moved into a new house with the movers coming. 
I had to leave her with a, a three-year-old and a baby. <laughs> it's like, hey, sorry, got to go. Oh, mm-hmm. And my mom lived for a few days, but she she passed. She had, a, she had a heart attack. So we had the funeral there in the Detroit area. And I didn't know it at the time, but my brother, who, again, had been to my wedding and who was a part of that savings alone, and his sister, my sister, my half-sister, came to the funeral. And I do remember, I mean, my, my head Lily was in a million places, as you might imagine. Brand new job started moving my family, you know, and my mom dies in the middle, you know, but while our furniture's getting shipped out here. So anyway, so my head was in a million places, and I don't remember a lot from her funeral. I mean, I did the eulogy and, you know, I was greeting everybody because my sister's not, that's not her thing. Anyway, but the only conversation that I remember from that funeral was with that new half sister, you know, just, it was just funny that it's like we honed in and mm. we just locked in somehow. It was just, it was a little bizarre. I mean, at the time it didn't strike me other than, you know, it was a nice conversation at any rate. It's just kind of funny in retrospect because you're like, well, did we, you know, why, why did we lock in, you know, yeah. it could be coincidental. My sister that I grew up with, again, we were never anything alike. Um, and, you know, we always used to joke, I don't mean to make light of this, but that my sister was a little kooky. <laughs> so my dad's mom, my grandma that I grew up with, was a little kooky. <laughs> you know, she was, she was supposedly born on the boat on, over from Italy. She didn't look, she had very, very, very milky white skin. So she didn't look traditionally dark, complected, olive skinned Italian, but she was born on the boat and she just had a little, little kookiness to her, which, you know, was kind of fun when you're a kid, but we always thought, well, my sister must've got some of that. And my sister has since, you know, just being forthright is, is she definitely, I think had some mental health things Mm -hmm. and I always spotted it. I don't think her family really spotted it, but it's really come to roost now. And she's really having some struggles and Mm -hmm. with her, with her mental health. So that's, that's unfortunate and, you know, kind of heartbreaking, but uh, but so again, we were never alike. We were never the same. I mean, she, she was gone by the time I was five, you know, and she was never super warm. I mean, my mom was definitely more warm in nature as I guess I was <laughs> to some degree that's been beaten out of me since, you know, whereas my dad was a little more shoot from the hip and, you know, and funny. And my sister was a little more like, like, like him in that regard. I do have to, and I don't know where you put this, but I guess I know you're from Minnesota and you have to share this anecdote. It may or may not be anything meaningful to you. You know, you're a fellow Midwesterner. Yeah. Um, so I'm a huge music buff and I look, I, I don't have many vices, <laughs> but music has always been a vice. I play some music. It's a good outlet, but I'm a, just a big music fan and I am a huge fan of the band, The Replacements, which is from your neck of the woods. I don't know if you know them, and I hope you don't think less of me. But they, no, they were, that's great. They were they were a hot mess. Um, <laughs> but it's just ironic, you know. I look, I find a lot of uh, a lot of perhaps catharsis, catharsis, and you know, I've just always been a music lover, a big lyrics guy, like I like good lyrics. But my favorite album of all time, long before I ever made discovery of this was an album of theirs called Please to Meet Me. <laughs> and if you look on the cover of that album, you can look up the art, album artwork. It's, you know, kind of a raggedy street urchin hand shaking hands with somebody with a gold watch and gold ring and cufflinks. And, you know, so it's kind of like this middle ground of being somewhere in between. And I, that idea to me always resonated because in many ways that that's how I felt. 
because, you know, I grew up in this area that wasn't exactly shiny, <laughs> you know, I mean, I had a perfectly fine upbringing. I mean, nobody's going to cry me a river. I mean, I had a roof over my head and, you know, food on the table that was never an issue. Right. But, you know, it was a little bit of a rough and tumble area as I referenced in my, my reading of the descriptor. Um, so that album cover just always in that, that line, pleased to meet me has become even more powerful, obviously now that I've met more about myself, but the other album title that just blew my mind that I always thought was the best title for a best of album was an album of theirs. that was called, don't you know who I think I was <laughs> just always thought it was a funny title. Like, you know, you have these grand illusions of who you used to be or, you know, the place you had in this world. But at the end of the day, you know, can often be forgotten. Mm-hmm. And don't you know who I think I was? It's just a funny moniker to put on top of what we've all experienced, right? You right. know, so, so anyway, so I had uh. a little little Minnesota music connection for you. But, but that is emblematic, I feel, of kind of the feeling that I've often felt because I, you know, again, I, I kind of came from, you know, pretty grounded background, right? You know, there wasn't anything precious going on where I came from. But, you know, I have spent a lot of time in boardrooms and with pretty successful business people and, you know, you know, done okay in the business front. But I just always felt kind of in between, like I'm, you know, I'm in between those two worlds somehow. And I think this newfound discovery is certainly, you know, reflective of that. Because again, I came from parents who were not educated. We lived a very blue collar, middle, middle class existence. Yet my biological family is off the charts, like private planes. And, <laughs> you know, I think it said I saw have an old colleague who became a genetic research. She's a market researcher and a research librarian. She and her husband were both adopted. And in her semi-retirement, she started a genealogical research company. So I've worked with her as a client since we worked together way back when. And I said, look, I start your company. Let me throw you a little bit of money and tell me what you can find out because I'm curious about this guy. I don't really have a picture of him. And the profile and the information I got back and then was everything I suspected and knew. I think it was 7,000 apartments <laughs> said he built, wow. you know, like he would fly around the country. The articles are true. He was a pilot and he would fly around and scope land out in Arizona and Texas and all, all over the place, seemingly. But, you know, so ultimately he was a real estate tycoon. So, you know, it's just kind of funny because I, you know, I look at my dad sold TVs at Sears. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's how I grew up. And he was a great guy, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm proud as proud could be that I'm somewhat of a byproduct of what he stood for. He's the most honest guy I've ever known, and I'd like to think I picked up that. And he was funny. I mean, he just he was one of those guys that his friends loved him, and people would love him. People either loved him or hate him because he was he was so honest that sometimes people don't like that, right? Everybody wants you to be honest until you are, and he could sometimes be brutally honest. So living in between, you know, that a father who, you know, look at what I've done with my business and, you know, you know, light years of what he could have ever imagined. And, you know, he'd be blown away yet not even coming close to what my biological uh, father achieved and attained. Not that that's everything, because I don't think he had a very happy life. His marriage wasn't good. Obviously, if you, you know, you sounded like he was a bit of a philanderer. Um, but I think a good guy, you know, from what I can tell and talking to people, but that, that notion of being in between is fitting, I guess the other variable that I should add, Lily, you know, we didn't grow up. I wasn't hardcore Catholic, if, if that's a term, but I grew up Catholic. 
right? I did go to a Catholic high school, mostly for an attempt at athletics. And that was at my own questioning. I said, hey, can I go to this private school? I think it was like 600 bucks a year. And we had ever really, that was a real conversation. Like, well, let's talk about this. Mm -hmm. But it was, you know, it was a private Catholic high school in Detroit. You know, I grew up Catholic. I go to a Catholic high school. I had ended up going to a Catholic college for undergrad. I got a little scholarship there. And it was a nice little small liberal arts school in Western Michigan. And part of my discovery is I'm half Jewish. <laughs> so oh, really, yeah. So there's mm-hmm. another little, a little addition to the story. So my, I decided that if I do write a memoir, I think the title is going to be because I thought I was Italian, you know, so the, the memoir is going to be something like from Mamma Mia to Oive, holy shit, I'm Jewish. So mm-hmm. and that's the working title right now. <laughs> I like it. Sorry. I hope you don't have to beep out this interview. No, Sorry, there's no, there are no rules. Right, well, I've, I've tried to keep in check. Believe me, if I didn't keep it in check, this could be, you know, a disease. you'd have the, I don't know who even regulates a podcast, do they? The FCC can't get you. So, you know, I think there was certainly a sense and I, it's funny because I have a lot of, you know, since I play a little music here and there, I have a lot of music, music loving friends. And I do think there's a certain thing that is a uniter. And that is, there's often a feeling of, you know, being like not quite fitting. I mean, the the thing I'm appreciative is, is what I do and have done for a living. That background and that being somebody who kind of floats in between is, is, has served me well because, you know, like, you know, I was an athlete, but I hung out with musicians. I, you know, but I was a good, good student. And, you know, like I never fully went into a, you know, this wasn't a click guy. Like I never wanted to be whatever. I just kind of did these different things. And I think there was a little bit of a reflection of like, well, you know, I kind of prided myself in being a little bit of not an outsider because it's not like, you know, but on the outside a little bit, I always felt like I had kind of an objective view looking in. And I think that certainly was a byproduct of growing up in a household where I was, I didn't quite fit. I mean, it was a loving household. I mean, I wasn't made to feel, you know, but my older sister often told me, oh yeah, you're adopted, <laughs> you know, cause that's, that's what mean older sisters do. Now, granted mm-hmm. I was five and she was 20 or whatever, you know, that, that, that there's, that's a little messed up, but at any rate, I never had any suspicions or it never crossed my mind that I'm not my father's child. The first time that came to mind, the first time it ever kind of sparked my synapses was at my wedding shower. You know, I, you know, it's a room full of ladies and I have to come because I'm the groom to be and my wife's opening presents and I'm there pretending to be helpful and, you know, putting the smile on my face and ooing it on and saying thank you for all the gifts, right? And I remember one of my dad, my dad that I grew up with, one of his women, one of his lady friends who he worked with, made a comment and said, oh, my gosh, you look so much like your father. Now, I was in graduate school at the time, and I had just started wearing glasses. I needed it for distance. I'd never worn glasses in my life. My dad, on the other hand, used to say, yeah, wear glasses in the womb. <laughs> like, he never remembered not wearing glasses. But I just started wearing glasses, and I had a blazer on. I mean, he used to you know, wear a suit when he... Worked, worked at Sears. And I remember thinking at the time, no one has ever told me I look like my father. Now, again, that was before my hair thinned a lot. I mean, I, it was starting to thin a little bit, not nothing crazy, but, and he was a lot taller than I am, but it, I just remember it struck me in the moment like, oh, nobody's ever said that. It's funny. Nobody's ever said that, right? You know, but I always looked a lot like my mom. And my dad's father, had been a coal miner and he had been, he, I think he ran security for Hudson motor car or something back in the day. They're the people who brought you the gremlin and the pacer and all the ugliest cars in the world. 
and he was very stocky, like he was barrel chested and had a little more. I mean, I wasn't quite as stocky as he was, but I thought, well, I must be like my grandfather because he was shorter and stockier. Um, you know, I mean, I was probably 5'11 and my dad was, like he said, 6'3. But anyway, never looked like him, never thought about looking like him. But as I got older, and I feel like it's been since we moved to New York, and again, we've been here 19 years, like little things started to like come together to me. And I always used to joke with my wife, oh, well, maybe I'm Mr. J's son, right? Because he was bald, although he had an amazing toupee. But, you know, it's just always a joke. And I don't know why, Lily, that I made that joke all the time. Like, I can't tell you one particular reason, but there was always that joke about, well, maybe I'm Mr. J's son. Ha ha ha. Because my mom had a very close relationship with the guy that she worked for. Mm. And so fast forward to, I guess, rewind, I should say, to Christmas of 2017. And my wife got me an Ancestry DNA kit for Christmas, ironically. (laughs) Nothing like finding out you're Jewish for Christmas. So, you know, I got the results back early February. I mean, you've seen this pattern a million times, right? I mean, if somebody gets it for a holiday, I get the results back. And I remember I was in the other room and I just remember my wife overhearing me say, holy shit. (laughs) And she's like, what? I'm like, I just got my ancestry results back. And it says I'm half Ashkenazi. And, uh, or like how, oh, and I did what everybody does, right? Well, I don't know. Maybe it's wrong. You know, I'll, I'll do 23 and me, but you know, my gut, I started to get that sinking feeling mm-hmm. and I very systematically, you know, I, my, my sister, again, she's not takes my sister. She's, she'll just bury stuff. Right. So I knew that it would, she wouldn't get around to taking the test. I just know her well enough to know that, you know, she would put like when my mom died, like getting paperwork done and stuff, she just, she puts her head in the sand. So I reached out to a cousin that I have again, who's a lot older. I mean, I was always the youngest. I mean, everybody was always, I had no cousins my age or anything like that because my parents were older when they had me, but I reached out to the cousin and I said, Hey, would you be willing to take this test if I send it to you? And she was like, yeah, sure. And Sure enough, she doesn't show up as related. So I'm like, all right, you know, because I thought, well, could my dad have been Jewish? Like, and not known it? Could you know? You do all the what ifs, like you're trying to, you know, trying to figure out the system, right? So when she came back as not related, I thought, okay, I've got a pretty definitive. uh, Now I know definitively that my my dad is not my dad. The craziest part of there are two very very crazy components. As if it's not all crazy enough, right, Lily? You know, when you do Ancestry, it'll tell you you've got, you know, 900 relatives or you can search names, right? And I searched my name and only one other person. I had literally almost a thousand relatives on Ancestry, you know, because it takes you out to eighth and ninth cousins, right? So I had one other person who showed up with my last name and he showed up as half Jewish. And it's not a Jewish name. <laughs> so I said, well, maybe that this has got to be a clue, right? And and he's not far from here. He's in Western Massachusetts. And, you know, because I could see where he's located. And again, I'm, I'm in upstate New York. So I sent him a note and I don't think he responded initially. And then I, you know, I gave it a few weeks and I sent him a second note. And, and again, he wasn't closely related. He was like a sixth cousin or something insane like that. I sent a follow-up note and I got a very cryptic message back and it just said, this is best discussed live. And I think he gave me his number. He said, feel free to call me. And so I, I called the guy and I said, Hey, thank you for your willingness to chat. I said, sorry to bug you, but you know, I gave my story a little bit that I'm trying to solve this genetic mystery. And he's bottom line is, is we pieced together. He had the exact same discovery that I did. Exact. His mom worked for a Jewish employer. He got uh, 23 and me or ancestry for Christmas. 
he found, I mean, he had the exact identical discovery. And his oh. mom and dad had the same names. This, they had the same last names, coincidentally enough, and they married. So, you know, but he solved his mystery quicker. So mm. fast forward to, I suspected it was the family I thought it was, right? But I knew my biological father's wife was still alive. And I thought, do I want to be that guy? She was 93 or something. I thought, I, I'm not going to reach out. So, so now we're, this is February of 2018. And uh, I'm like, I don't want to show up. You know, she's 93. I don't want to do anything that's going <laughs> to cause her to kick off. So I thought, I'm just going to keep this in check. I'm, I'm not going to reach out to that family. Plus, I, I didn't know really how to do it, even though I'd known the brother a little bit. So fast forward a year to the day, almost February to February. And at this point, my son had gone off to college. You know, it was that, that was a big year. I found out that my discovery about a month before I turned 50 and my firstborn was going off to college. And, you know, it's like, it was, there was a lot going on. I was working 80 hour weeks. So um, I, I finally, in a year, I'm like, you know what? I can't hold out anymore. I, I got to get an answer. I have to, I have to reach out to this family and see if I can, you know, if they're willing to, you know, take a test. Now, fully recognizing that this family is, incredibly, incredibly, incredibly wealthy, like art collector wealthy, right? If that puts it in context or perspective. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to reach out to him. I knew I could find the brother's number because I had seen it online. I, I found it and I knew he was living in Florida. So I go to Google the number literally like a, a month or a year to the day and the mom had just died. And I'm like, oh, you know, and I was going to, you know, I was like the heck, can't worry about her, you know, still being alive. I just got to go forth. And I Googled the number and she's, she just died like two days prior. I'm like, now I really can't reach out to him because, you know, what are wealthy families afraid of? Yeah. Wealthy families are afraid of some guy's going to show up wanting a little action, right? So now I'm thinking, how do I do this? Do I look, I mean, how do I, how do I reach out to them? Because the mom just died. And do I want to do that right on the heels of that? Like, you know, my mind's going a mile a minute. Um, so I decided to wait. And as it turned out, I don't think I waited more than a couple of weeks. I mean, it was like, I just, I had such momentum going forward, Lily, like I had finally come to terms with the fact that I'm going to try and solve this mystery that I just, I called. So I called the brother and sure enough, he answered the phone. It came up on his phone and he used to call me Robert when I was younger. And he said, Robert, you know, and he remembered me, of course. I mean, he, he knew my mom. I mean, he had known my mom his whole life and we chatted you know, knew each other enough to be cordial, right? Like, I mean, if I had met him six times, that's probably a lot. But, you know, I mean, we had a central, you know, unity around that little savings and loan that my mom managed for his family. So anyway, we get talking and he says, well, you're not going to tell me we're brothers, are you? Because I told him, I started to build up to it. And I said, well, not 100% sure, but a lot of things would point to it. And I said, do you know anybody else who was on the board of that bank? Because he was on the board with my biological father. I said, do you know anybody else who's, who was on that board who was Jewish? And I think there were others. And he started brainstorming. He said, well, look, he said, I took 23 in me. And I said, well, and maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree because you didn't show up as related to me. And he said, well, he said, let me, let me check my settings. He said, I probably don't have it turned on to public. And suffice it to say, he's not good with technology. As brilliant of a guy he is, he's kind of spacey. And he's older. I mean, they're all, you know, these siblings are older. One has since passed away, which we didn't talk about. But bottom line, he texts me at about, I don't know, I, I talked to him at like four o'clock on a Friday, four or five o'clock. I called him from my office before I came home. And by nine o'clock that night, I have a text from him saying, we're brothers. So, uh, wow. you know, so that, 
they, you know, that, that was kind of big news to them. Now, again, he had a terrible relationship with his father from what I can understand, because I think my biological father was a bit of a philanderer. He had, you know, someone told me he and his wife's uh, issues were the, the worst kept secret in town. You know, and I know my mom always thought she was kind of tough. And if you saw pictures of her, you'd go, oof, she kind of looks like a bitch. <laughs> and my mom was as sweet as they come. And for her to say, you know, but of course, you never know what lines he fed her. Um, but anyway, so this brother, he's like, you know, look, I'm probably not the one to talk to about dad, biological father, because I, you know, I didn't have a good relationship with him. So bottom line, my relationship with that new, new family, and I should emphasize that, you know, they're, you know, they've kept me at arm's length, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, which they did right out of the gate. I mean, they were cordial and they answered health questions. I mean, they were. They didn't just shut it right down. I mean, so a continuum of how great it could have been or how terrible it could have been, you know, it's certainly not at the top, but it's certainly not at the bottom either. And, you know, look, I've tried to be empathetic to the fact that they've got their own lives. They've got families, you know, and as wealthy, and I do mean wealthy, as they all are, uh, you know, they've had their own issues. I mean, I think, I mean, you talk about roadmaps. I think even though my biological father and his wife stayed together, it sounds like it was not good. I think across the three siblings, there were five or six divorces, you know, so they, they didn't have a great roadmap. And honestly, that brother is divorced again. And I think he's probably 74. I don't know. I think he's 18 years older than I am. So 73, mm-hmm. maybe going on 74, you know, with him when I was back in Detroit in the fall and he, he's just kind of miserable. <laughs> and there was a niece that I, at the, I said there was a sister who passed away sadly. And I, could tell there was something hanging over her and uh you know I, my instincts were right but anyway but i niece had even acknowledged that he's just become come a little little bit of a miserable older guy but you know so he's got everything but nothing you know he's kind of on his own it seems look I, i'd like to think i'm pretty much an, an open book and um it is worth noting that they were very kept keeping me at arm's length and i don't know if it was subconscious or what but i thought you know i'm going to acknowledge this to them and uh, I told him because when I did find out before I reached out to them, look, this biological father, uh, you know, I mean, again, vastly wealthy. So I did speak with an attorney because I thought I'm not going to be anybody's fool. I don't know that I'm going to do anything, but I'm a guy who likes to at least understand where he stands. And I did reach out to an attorney and it was very clear to me. I have no, you know, unless he listed me in his will, I have no, you know, legal, legal stature. And that was not a prime driver. You know, I mean, that wasn't what, what I was looking to do, but I did want to at least have the the the, the edification of knowing what, what my situation was. And I acknowledged that to them because I thought I'm going to take this hat on because it's kind of like one of those things where like, you know, that I know that you know that I know that you know. You know, I'm sure they wondered, who does this guy and what is he going to want? So it was my way of saying, look, I look, I did do this. I looked into it. I got clarity on it. And that's it. Right. You know, I thought I'm just going to address it head on. I don't know if that spooked him even more. <laughs> I don't think it made a difference. I don't think I'd be getting invited over to Sunday dinner or anything like that. It was never going to happen. But there were funny little glimpses. Well, a couple anecdotes that might be shareable. When I was back in Detroit, when I was going to meet them, I had driven back to Michigan. We have a place in the middle of the state and I was going to go there and I was going to see my mother-in-law, but I drove out from New York and, uh, I saw one of my oldest and dearest best buddies, who was my best man at my wedding. And I love the guy. He's got a heart of gold, but he's a little crazy. You know, I mean, we grew up together. 
And we went out the night before I had the breakfast meeting with my new siblings, and we probably had a few too many beverages. So admittedly, I did show up to that first meeting, and I'm sure I was a little nervous, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not one who's prone to nerves, but it was a big breakfast meeting. I showed up at that meeting, and I had a little bit of a headache, a little bit of a hangover. I'm not going to kid you. Uh, you know, so it probably wasn't the best move, but, you know, that's what we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had the breakfast meeting with the new siblings at the same hotel, This again, the the, uh, the toniest restaurant in the toniest suburb of Detroit. And I'd been to this hotel for meetings before, but, it, you know, it's like, I remember we had a friend who worked there and like Pavarotti stayed there and Linda uh, Barbara Streisand stayed there. One time I had a meeting there and Van Halen was staying there. It's the place where all the celebrities go. And that's where they wanted to have breakfast. And I do remember telling my wife, I'm like, did they not go to the IHOP? Like, do they, mm-hmm. do they, do every meeting this family has is at this Tony restaurant. So I went and we had a nice breakfast and it was cordial, you know, um, but was not a lot of warmth, right? It was, it was kind of, if I'm honest, I think maybe they were sizing me up a little bit, mm-hmm. um, you know, cause they didn't know what, if I wanted anything or what I wanted or, you know, but it was a perfectly cordial breakfast. And I, you know, they were, they shared health information. They shared some anecdotes. The sister who, again, sadly passed away not long after that, uh, told me she's because I had written her some emails and she said, you write just like, I won't call him by name, but just like our father, you know, your writing style and freaky thing is they've since sent me, sent me pictures of this guy. You know, I knew him when he was an older guy. I mean, he was probably close to 70 when I was in my early twenties. I think I figured he was 44 actually when I was born and he had a toupee. So, you know, I'm looking at the guy like, okay, well, they've sent me pictures of him. I look more like him than anybody in that family. I just wasn't looking for it when I was young, but I've seen pictures of him in his youth. Like he was in world war two. And there are some pictures that are absolute goosebump pictures. Like he had to have, I'm going way back to your earlier question, Lily. He had to have suspected, right. You know, I mean, he knew where he had been and I, you know, there was, there were photographs where we look very much alike. And now as I'm in my early fifties, well, I guess now mid fifties, they've sent me pictures. Actually the niece did the sister who passed away, the daughter of the sister who passed away, she had sent me some photographs and it was absolutely goosebump stuff. You know, you look at it and it's like, oh my God. Mm. I mean, I look a lot like my mom, but I looked a lot like him. So bigger, bigger frame. They're all kind of diminutive. I feel like I kind of tower over them. They're like, I don't know, five, 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 six, and I'm not a giant, but they're, they're littler people than I am. And he was shorter for sure. Have you had any change in your life now that you know you're 50% Ashkenazi Jew? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, needless to say, the guy who went to high school with a bunch of Catholic guys and college with a bunch of Catholic buddies, you know, that's, uh, you know, I mean, look, I I sucked at one religion. I don't know how I'm going to do it too. You know, what do you do with that, <laughs> right? I mean, I did, you know, one of my knucklehead friends without any note or anything. One day a package arrived at the front door and it was this big giant uh, book I think I should have looked at it before I call. We had the call. I think it was called the Newish Jewish Handbook. It was basically anything you'd want to know. And honestly, I just I I have no reason not to. I mean, there's you know, but yeah. my, my wife and I always joke. You know, my kids are great, and and you know, not just as a proud dad. I have a daughter who's in college and a son who's in his first job working in Manhattan. You know, he's about a year and a half out of college, and. Uh, you know, I look at them and how they've turned out and all the variables and all the what ifs and all the stuff you ask yourself, 
And I look and go, you know what? Something worked out right through the nurture, through the nature, however the marbles fall. You know, you think about all the gazillion variables and marbles that can fall in our, in our makeup between nature and nurture. And, you know, I mean, did have a friend. <laughs> and again, I'm sorry, Lily, if I use bad language on this. Mm-hmm. If you need to beat me up, mm-hmm. I, I speak the truth and tell you what he said. And again, please forgive me if it sounds crass, but there was an article I found because, you know, think about what I said I do. I'm a market researcher. I, I dig into stuff. So it's like Dante's Inferno having a guy who asks questions for a living make a discovery like this because your mind's like, oh my God, I got to find out. I got to learn. I got to, you know, and you feel like a stalker, which I know I've heard other people say, but you start looking into stuff. And I told you, I wanted to understand my father's background and stuff, but I started Googling stuff and I found an article about the sister. Again, the sister who I only met twice, but you know, the newfound sister. And I know she worked for Rolling Stone magazine at one point, very fashionable, very elegant, you know, I think very much a scenester. She lived in LA. I think she lived in New York, you know, it was nothing like the town that I grew up in that I referenced to you, right? <laughs> but I found an article, and it was about she had made the best dressed Detroiters list, <laughs> which is mm. kind of fun, which is nice, you know. That's a nice mm. thing, right? But I sent it to a buddy of mine, and I said, "Just think." I said, "Had I had I been raised outside of town, and you know, had access to that mentorship and that wealth, I said maybe I'd be a best best dressed somebody." And if yeah. you met me, Lily, you would never suspect that. Um, and but he sent back a note and all it said, and again, I'm sorry, please forgive me. But all his notes said was, imagine what a douchebag you'd have been <laughs> if you got, if you were raised like that. <laughs> and it's just, it's, you know, I mean, I, my friends, as much as they bust on me, you know, I mean, that's, maybe it's a, maybe it's the classic thing that you find gallows humor in it all, right? Because there's right? certainly, certainly heartache that comes with it, right? I don't think I'm telling anybody they don't know. But to, to answer your question about having, you know, found out Jewish, I've not pursued that faith or anything, but I do believe, you know, I always try and think about what have I learned from this and what good can I take from it? And, you know, certainly the kind of stuff I think about my kids and the stuff you always try and espouse, right? You know, appreciate the fact that you're here because there's a million variables that would could have gotten in the way that you're not here, right? So, you know, it may have been an affair. It may have been an ongoing relationship. Whatever my mom's relationship was with my biological father, which, you know, again, I don't have the, the luxury or the benefit of being able to ask because everybody's gone. My dad, my mom, my biological father. Uh, but whatever those variables were that came together, thank God they did. Because otherwise I'm not here. My kids aren't here. It's like, that's pretty profound stuff when you start doing the what ifs, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so just a certain level of appreciation. And I think I've, you know, like I said, I've always felt like somebody who's in between, you know, in between the, the, the athletes and the musicians, the smart kids and the not smart kids or the, you know, like I just always felt like I was somebody who could, you know, which may have led me to the profession that I, I'm in. Cause you pick a weird subgroup or group of people and I've probably had a conversation with them or led a discussion group or a focus group. And to me, that's always fascinating to learn from different cultures and tribes and stuff like that. So I do think finding that out somehow is fitting because I kind of like being in between and now I clearly am in between, um, you know, and I think it's really taught me to, uh, you know, really appreciate the moment because even though it's, you know, our, our wiring and our genetics and all that stuff is so integral as is the nurturing led to us. But what I've tried to do, I've tried, you know, like the, you know, somewhat the, the seven stages of grief, I think, which has been certainly said many times before, you know, so I became enamored with it early on and wanted to learn as much as I could. But 
what I've constantly tried to remind myself, and my wife has, God bless her, she's, she's an angel, is to live in the moment, right? And to, to just, you know, just appreciate the here and now. I mean, yeah, there's stuff that led up to it, and yeah, there's stuff that could be down the line, worried about kids and jobs and marriages, whatever, you know, is coming. But it's that, that, that importance of recognizing that, look, whatever got to us to this point, it's very easy to squander that by focusing, over-focusing on what could have been, what should have been, you know, mm-hmm. I could have been ungodly wealthy. Well, okay. You know, good enough, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's all these things that you can certainly have and haw over. And I think if anything, this has accentuated my hope to always, at least, you know, through the encouragement of my loved ones, be present, be in the moment, appreciate the here and now what's right in front of you, you know, and don't get too hung up on all the, all the, muck that may have led to uh, to being to this point yeah if someone wants to reach out to me again i i may not be heading out, out of out of the country for a little bit so i might be slow in responding but um my email address it's probably the best way it's bob mason 68 so b-o-b-m-a-s-o-n the number 68 at gmail well i hope you get to go somewhere warm work or pleasure uh well it's so my daughter skates for what is effectively team a team usa team it's like a synchronized skating team which nobody oh, wow. knows what that is it's it's take synchronized swimming and put it on ice and that gives you what it is it is it's not an olympic sport but they've been trying to make it it'll never become an olympic sport probably but bottom line a team is skating in Rouen, france uh, next oh. next week so we're going to go there for a little bit and kind of travel around normandy i used to go to paris on business a lot and never been to that part of the country so and our son's going to come join us so really looking forward to it so but so i i'll cool. respond yeah i know we're fired up we're fired up we uh, last year she was in salzburg in mid-january and then uh milan in mid-february and she's a student i mean she's going she's missing weeks at the class college uh, my wife and i went over and just stayed i mean it was like a bucket list like once in a lifetime so we stayed over there for a month and hit everywhere in between and you know yeah i think we were gone 31 nights or something like that and oh she's still gosh. talking to me. <laughs> Family <laughs> speculated. People were speculating if she'd be sitting on the same side of the ice rink by the time we saw everybody <laughs> again in Milan and, and uh, worked out okay. Bob, thank you so much for sharing your story today and spending the time to, to share with me. I really appreciate it. You're very, very welcome, Lily. Thank you. Uh, this is a nice opportunity to be able to do it. And I hope it brings uh, folks some catharsis and we didn't throw too much at them today. <laughs> These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us.